Welcome to Inspiring Salon Professionals, the podcast that allows every therapist, nail tech and stylist to level up, build their career and reach for their dreams. Each week we'll be looking at a different area of the industry and along the way I'll be chatting with salon owners, industry leaders and mentors who'll be sharing their stories on how they achieved their goals and made their successes. I'm Sue Davies, your host, award-winning salon owner and industry professional. Welcome to Inspiring Salon Professionals. Hi there everybody and welcome to this week's podcast. This week we're on episode 24. I can't believe actually that we have got so far into this. This last yeah, 24 weeks has flown and thank you so much for staying on the journey with me or if you're recently joining me, thank you so much for joining. Inspiring Salon Professionals is something that came to fruition through the first lockdown and has just been a work in progress ever since and is still going to be a work in progress although very soon I may need to take a little dip out because I will be moving home and with that comes a lot of prep and a lot of packing as everybody knows and at some point the microphone and all my kit's going to have to go away and we will be staying in temporary accommodation so I'm not quite sure how long I might be away for but I will try and um, make sure that we that I don't break what is going on at the moment because it's really good for me to be doing and hopefully sharing lots and lots of inspiring information for people that are listening. So what are we going to talk about on this episode? We are going to talk about um, the top tips for starting your first salon industry business and we're going to cover eight different points. This episode really is kind of where everything that I'm doing now started and I was invited um by Professional Beauty to do a talk on going from mobile owner um, of a business to salon owner success. And it kind of inspired me to talk about everything that I've gone through as a business owner um, from when I first qualified all the way through to having an award-winning salon that I owned for um, really just short of 10 years. And I'm a bit gutted I didn't get to the 10 years, but life and um, and all of that stuff got slightly in the way and I needed to not be in the business any longer. So I've, I missed my 10 years by a few months, but I'm not fussed by that. It was a really amazing um, opportunity that I had. I made the absolute most of it, loved the majority of it. Some of it I could do, could have done without, but, but on the whole, it was a really, really exciting time. And I really just wanted to share how I got to that place um, within that talk. The wonderful Susan Routledge um, put me forward to do it because she had seen a little bit of my journey and thought I could be quite a good fit for doing it. And and it was a really, really great opportunity and loved doing that talk. And it consequently led on to the place where I'm finding myself now, although this has taken me forever to make happen. But... Um, bit of a perfectionist and I keep trying to make everything perfect but very soon probably after I've moved house and got resettled everything will be coming to fruition again and the courses and everything that I want to do will be operational and up and running so that's going to be a really exciting time lots of new beginnings but today we're going to just go through a quick guide because this is really the crux of what it is that I want to be about and what I want to be helping the industry with um, alongside some of the other things that I do but this is going to be where my forte lies as I go forward. So if you are looking to start your business and that could be a mobile business, a salon premises business, it could be a home-based salon, whatever it is that it 
is that you are looking at doing. Hopefully this guide is going to help you. Initially, I was looking at doing this to be specifically for setting up a salon. But over COVID and the pandemic, a lot of people have um, opted to open home salons, which I completely understand. And there seems to be a slight shift in how we're working within the industry. So I will be shifting what it is that I was going to be offering to try and capture all of those different ways that we can work within this industry because it gives us so much flexibility. So let's start with a quote, which I think is really, really important. And it's by a guy called Bobby Unser. And he says, success is where preparation and opportunity meet. And to me, that kind of says everything about starting a business because you will not be successful if you don't prepare and if you don't have the opportunity. You do really, really need those two things to make your dream happen because there is so much bound up in starting a business and those two are the most important things. You need to be ready and you need to have the opportunity arise for you to take that dream forward. There are so many things to consider when you're starting your own business. Um, what you're going to find within this episode is just a beginning point. It isn't a full list, it's not comprehensive, but it's just a beginning guide. Some things to start thinking about to get you on the right direction for your journey. And remember, your journey is individual to you. No matter how many times you ask in forums, or you ask your friends, or you ask your family, everyone's going to have a different opinion. And some of it is legalities, and there is only one way. But if you're asking someone, oh, you know, what colour should I paint my salon? You're going to get 30 different answers of what they did. And you have to remember, this is about you and it's about what you want to have for your future and your business. So these are just some food for thought and some suggestions um, just to start researching and take you in the first steps towards your business ownership. So preparation. This is vital. We all have something that we can bring to the table. So think about what skills that you have that can be used when you are running your business. Think about whether you need to add to your skills. You know, do you understand what basic bookkeeping looks like? Do you understand what profit and loss is? Do you understand income and expenditure? There's an awful lot that rides on you understanding those figures and having um, a really good person there to help you with that if you don't understand is going to be something that you're going to need to consider. Do you have social media skills? You know, these are things that we all do on a fairly daily basis, but understanding the algorithms and the intonations that happen within Facebook and Instagram or on TikTok or whatever platform you choose to use are going to be the make or break of your business sometimes. You know, gone are the days of sticking an advert in the local paper. Most areas now, their local papers are online and it just doesn't really work in the same way. And and many of our younger generation wouldn't even consider doing that because their demographic and their client is not going to be looking at a local paper website. That's not going to be where they are. So social media is hugely, hugely important. And if you have a lack of skill within that area, that could be something that lets you down. You need to think about whether or not you need to add to your practical skills. And this can be really, really important if you have a limited service menu currently, or if you want to be able to cover other team members, if you're going to have a team. If someone goes off sick and there's a day of waxing and you don't do waxing, that's a lot of revenue lost. So you need to consider whether or not you need to build your practical skills and what business skills you need to build. Our industry is fraught with people that do not understand what business is and being financially literate is an absolute necessity when you own a business. 
So make sure that you are taking courses that are going to be useful to you. Don't waste money on courses that aren't going to give a boost to your new business and aren't going to benefit you. What you need to do is an audit of your transferable skills and work out what skills you have built up from your normal daily life, from the career you've had thus far, from information that you can glean from wherever work out, what skills that you have built to take into starting that business. And if you've got gaps, start plugging them before you get to the place where all of a sudden you have a business and you don't know what you're doing. You know, if you don't understand accountancy, just go and do a very basic bookkeeping course just so that you understand. And so when you sit with your accountant, if you decide to go with an accountant and they start talking to you about profit and loss, income and expenditure and taxable assets and all these kinds of things, go and understand what that means. And it will do you a huge, huge favor as you progress in your business journey. The second point we're going to look at is finding your perfect client. And this is something that comes up huge amount, um, but quite subtly. It usually shows itself as I can't get any clients or I can't fill my column. And this is quite often because the person who owns the business may not have worked out who their ideal client is or their client avatar. There's lots of different um, little phrases around for what this is at the moment, whether you're hitting your right demographic. There's lots and lots of ways that you can look at this. But before you start your business, look at who you are, look at what you do, and look at the kind of people that you surround yourself with. And that could be in your friends groups, it could be in wider social groups, it could be the kind of pubs that you go to, it could be the kind of clubs that you go to, the restaurants you go to, whether you go to the cinema, whether you hate the cinema, whether you like going to the beach, all of those things make you the person you are. And they are parts of your demographic. And so what you need to look at is the market that you are looking to serve with your business. So if you are in an area that is, say, a new housing development, new housing developments often fill with young families and lots of people with school age kids because they're building, you know, it's a new community and those people are just coming out of rented accommodation or leaving home or, you know, whatever circumstances they've come from. But it's like a new community. And so it's often a much younger community. And so if you want to set up a business and you want to appeal to young mums that are, you know, 25 to 30, say, that's a really good place to set up a business because there's going to, you know, there's going to be a lot of things that surround that community, like schools and nurseries and shops that are appropriate and cafes that work to um encourage those mums to come in and have coffees and have little coffee mornings or whatever. So you need to look at that just firstly the area of where you're going to want to set your business up if you are working from home then you know look at what is around you you most likely will have moved to an area where there are like-minded people people don't generally you know you're not going to get somebody that's 25 moving to a retirement community but if you're a more mature um, therapist or um, salon professional it may be that if you're in your 50s you may well be living nearer people that are of a mature age because that's just how your life is at that time so you're going to be more likely to attract those people because it's the area that you live in so you need to think about age groups what backgrounds people come from and where they live that's really really important but also think about things like where do they go to work do they go on holiday you know I mean I know some people that never take a holiday and other people that might take three or four a year and it's where those holidays are. Where those holidays are indicates um, their 
level of disposable income. And if they're holidaying in the Maldives and popping off to Dubai, you know, the chances are that they're going to have a high value income that they have spare disposable income to to basically put in somebody else's pockets and they will be wanting to spend that money. Whereas if you are in the place of, you know, using your son holidays at a £9.50 and I know I've been there at different points and money's tight and you can't afford to have massive holidays, then, you know, that that demographic of client aren't going to have so much money to spend on treatments. And so, you know, the pricing and the way that you structure your business is going to be slightly different. If that's the kind of area that you your business operates within, you need to look at all those kinds of things. You know, where do they take their kids? Do the kids all go to like 30 different classes a week? You know, that all costs money and that all indicates a certain type of person. If you don't take your kids to loads of clubs that are payable, then, you know, again, you're in a a different affluency area and there's nothing wrong with either area and there's always stuff in between and you just need to kind of work out where it is that you fit within that and don't worry about punching above your weight or working to an area that is um, less affluent than maybe you are currently. It doesn't really matter. You just need to pinpoint what client it is that you wish to attract because each of those clients will be attracted by different things and the more the thing I've found over the years is that the more um, disposable income people have sometimes they actually want to pay a higher price because it makes them feel that they're more successful and that exclusivity and all of that kind of stuff whereas a lot of the time people on a lower income perhaps maybe the sense of community is more and they like being in that in a communal salon where there's lots of people and lots of buzz and you don't those two things aren't mutually exclusive but they do tend to be smaller quieter salons are more expensive and the more busy buzzy salons are generally slightly cheaper because they you need to have a business model where you have more bums on seats to get more cash through the till because you're charging less money and that's fundamentally how that would work so you need to also think about how you're going to find them where you're going to find them you know it is things like you know what what coffee bars do they go to? What cafes do they go to? Where do they take their children in the morning or they, you know, their preschool kids? Do they take them to like, you know, tumble tots or whatever? I'm not quite sure if that's even a thing still now. Mine are so old. But, you know, we used to, I used to go to tumble tots. We used to go to tumble tots on a Wednesday morning and then we used to go to, um, there was a, a wonderful cafe where I lived that was a, um, a charity cafe for one of our local hospices. And we all used to go in there with all our prams and buggies. And we, used to, and we had an amazing group of mums in there. And we all used used to be in the same boat and we used to just love you know we all know what it's like when you're a young mum everybody wants to be together and share their stories and share their woes and how hard it is to be a mum because it is really really challenging sometimes when they're um, preschool or even when they're not it's even quite challenging when they're 26 and 24 Um, but but you know we all have those social groups and you need to work out where the your perfect client and her other Um, friends who could also be your perfect client where they all hang out you really really need to work that out so it's one of the first things you need to do because clients will be attracted to things like um, styling they'll be attracted to certain products they'll be attracted to certain types of therapist it really really does make or break your business getting that client avatar right and also 
and I'll say now in case I forget when I get to the bit I'm about teams later, but you also need to make sure that your team will be able to communicate with your perfect client because if they can't, your perfect client isn't necessarily going to feel comfortable with those team members that don't fit your client avatar too. So it's something that you have to consider. I'd add that this isn't really in any particular order, but um, but do, yeah, just take it one bit at a time. And the next thing we're going to look at is money because it can cost an absolute fortune to set up in business or you can do it fairly reasonably. It really does depend. All those things like workstation furniture, mirrors, nail polish, color collections, facial products, all of those things don't come cheap. And that's before you even start the consumables and start putting in flooring and all of that kind of stuff. And there is just so much that is involved in, especially if you're setting up a full salon premises. If you're starting a home salon from a home, obviously it's not going to be so expensive. Or if you're mobile, it isn't going to be expensive unless you're going to buy yourself a car to do that. But on the whole, Salon premises and doing it that way is probably one of the most expensive things you will ever invest in. But also remember there are other costs such as insurance, marketing, branding. These things are often forgotten about in what becomes what is known as shiny object syndrome of the startup world. Um, How are you going to fund all of that stuff? Because there is a lot of stuff. Um, And I know when I did my salon, when I set up probably three times. I've set up as a mobile, I've set up as a home salon, I've set up as a salon premises. And all of them I have funded because I don't like paying loads and loads of money um, because I can always, I, I'm a bit of a project person and I like taking things on and adjusting them to make them meet what I want. So quite often, and particularly when I did my salon, I bought everything on eBay. I bought everything secondhand. I was doing a shabby chic salon. So I bought everything secondhand and I upcycled and it saved me a fortune. So there's ways of doing it, either that or you can go to suppliers like REM and pay a lot of money for high quality, beautiful furniture. And there's lots of other suppliers out there. It isn't just REM, obviously, but they're one of the most um, popular brands in the industry. And if you if you buy REM generally within the industry, you know that you've bought you've bought quality, and everybody else knows that you've bought quality. But for me, I just bought loads of old chairs that were a bit mixed and matched on the inter- on on eBay, and I bought tables from Ikea and painted them because they didn't fit what I wanted and so we painted them to match and I bought um, chandeliers from eBay and I've done chandeliers from eBay twice and if you like that kind of thing can't recommend it highly enough and just make sure where you can save money and where you can create the best version of what that dream is in your head because there is no wrong way as long as it's fit for purpose and it's safe that's what's important if you are buying second hand and especially if you're buying electricals obviously you need to be very very careful so just to round up on money do make sure whether you have savings or whether you need finance do you need to get financial backing have you got family that are going to help i was very very fortunate that we'd had um, some income come back to us from the revenue um, in the form of a very large tax rebate when my husband and I set my business up. And without that, we probably wouldn't have been able to do it. But it set us on the road to the right pathway. I started my business without debt and I finished my business without debt. And if you can do that, that's fantastic. However, huge numbers of businesses start with bank loans and all sorts of ways of getting money into your pocket. Whichever way it is that you do it, just make sure that you take advice 
on how you use that money if you are going to be getting financial loans and make sure that you can afford to pay it if you don't get busy. That's the biggest thing. And that comes into, you know, sorting out all of your figures and working out your overheads and your turn the key figures. That is so, so important. But most of all, make sure that you've got enough money in the bank to start off with because otherwise you're just going to be playing catch up forever and opening us especially if you're opening a salon a salon premises you know you're going to have a lot of rent to pay you're going to potentially have um, business rates to pay depending on your rateable value but there's an awful lot your gas and electric and um, insurances all can cost a lot of money so just make sure that you are thinking about all of your figures and how you're going to start this business and then you need to start thinking about what it's going to cost you to run it as you go forward um which i'm not going to go into lots here because that's a that's a whole other thing all on its own but which we will come back to so next we're going to look at professional services and this encompasses things like accountants solicitors surveyors hr or human resources if you're not sure what that is um and it is a massive, massive minefield. This is kind of where all the legality stuff comes in. And these people have trained at degree level generally, and they are able to offer a truly professional service, advice and support to your business. So do think about it. And this isn't necessary, um, you know, obviously surveyors aren't going to be necessary if you're working from a home salon or mobile, and a HR specialist isn't going to be important if you don't have a team. But if you are looking to be a fully functioning employing salon then all of these things are going to be very very important and if you're looking to be a solopreneur working at home or as mobile um, freelance on the road whatever whichever way it is you're going to work if you're going to be on your own an accountant and sometimes a solicitor will be very very useful to you um, one thing you do need to do is to register with HMRC as a new business and that's really really important that you register HMRC website is fairly easy to comprehend for most people some people do struggle with it a little bit because it can they can get a bit wordy but if you are stuck just ask somebody will always help and um and if you when you do register then usually you get that first year um without having to do your self-assessment and then the self-assessment will be due in the next full year so just check how that works for you at what different point of the year you start your business, whether or not you want to be a financial year so that you start on the 1st of April or you run your accounts from the 1st of April to the 1st of April. But that's the kind of thing where you you need to take advice from somebody, whether that's a bookkeeper or whether it's a chartered accountant they will be able to help and advise you on all of those little nuances. And I'm not a specialist accountant, so I'm not going to advise on that. But you do need to do your due diligence, check with HMRC, and if you're unsure, take professional advice. Um, insurance is also really, really important. And ensure that you've spoken to an insurance advisor to make sure that all of your risks are covered for the services and the premises that you are working from. So if you're in a salon, you're going to potentially have a lot of different types of insurance requirements to somebody that's working mobile. And if you are working from home, you need to check with your home insurance company as to what their thoughts are on you trading from home, because they will want to know how many clients you're going to have coming to and fro, what access they have to the rest of your house and lots of different questions. And some insurers will not cover you to be working from home. And so 
for your contents and all of that kind of stuff, it is reportable because it is a change of circumstances. So do make sure that you speak to your home insurance company. And if you are working from a cabin in the garden, then you still would need to speak to your home insurance company, but then you have a whole different set of risks that um, would be potentially insurable by a business insurance, let alone the insurance for your skills and for your slips, trips and falls and all that kind of stuff. There is a lot of insurance risk around what we do and letting people into our homes. But also for mobiles going into other people's homes, because if you knock over something and ruin their £2,000 rug, then you're going to have a problem if you're not insured. So do make sure that your insurance is sorted. And I would always recommend, you know, we have lots and lots of different insurance providers within industry via lots of different trade associations or trade memberships that can provide you with insurance but do look at what you are paying for you know do you really need to have six million pounds worth of liability cover probably not um and i know my insurance advisor um who was a who was a professional insurance broker um who'd been in the insurance industry for many many years had advised me that it isn't you know for, for the business that i had i didn't need that level of cover but that was advice he gave to me personally for my business. But it's always worth challenging it because, you know, if someone's offering you £10 million worth of liability, do you really need that? You know, just question everything. Do your due diligence. And I would add in here as well, and I am going to have um, Denise onto the podcast at some point because she is an absolute mine of information as a professional surveyor. She specialises in helping salon owners negotiate leases, renewals of their leases, and also can help you with, if you have a business that you want to rent space out in, in helping you make sure that you have a proper contract between you and your sub lessees, because that's what they are. So um, surveyors can come in really, really handy. And I know Denise saves many businesses, thousands of pounds, and we are going to... um, have a little chat on here at some point because she will be really really helpful for anyone that's looking at taking on salon premises next we're going to look at location and this is particularly if you are a commercial premises although as i've said before sometimes this is a consideration for your home um, location and whether you need whether it's beneficial for you to work from home um, and also for offering mobile services and what's around you when you're looking though at retail premises check things like what your local footfall is you know if you've if you've seen a premises that you like just go and sit in the car nearby if you can and just watch how many people pass by is it very busy you know how many people just sit there for half an hour count how many people walk past if nobody walks past then your marketing strategies for that business are going to be very very different because walking past and footfall um gets you noticed And if you haven't got that, then you need to work out exactly how you're going to get people to know that you're there. Look at what parking options are available close to the premises, whether it's commercial or home. And if it is a home thing, if there isn't a lot of parking options and you are applying to your local council for planning for a business from home, then they may turn you down. Um, I know when I opened my commercial premises and my all my retail premises, I had issues around this and I, I had restrictions placed on me from the local authority as to hours of business and days of business when I could and couldn't open, how many people I could have in my business premises at any one time. And it was quite restrictive, to be honest. And I have to say, I mean, once it was once we were open, um, no one ever came and checked it. But that's not to say that anybody that was a local neighbour, had I um gone over and above what 
the council had decreed as allowable you know they all my local neighbors it was always a very very heavily residential area and parking was a complete nightmare always was the whole time I was there and so they would be within their rights to speak to the council and they could then revoke my planning um, and put me out of business effectively because if you aren't complying the council can you know make sure that you do comply and that could have a really big effect on your business yeah make sure whether they're going to need to pay to park because that's something that could be a negative for some people um, and just check if they're going to get stuck in traffic are they going to have to be waiting for parking spaces because all of that kind of stuff can have an impact on your day and whether or not they're going to be arriving on time for their appointments and so you just need to consider so many different things when you're looking at business premises because you know, what's around you? For me, when I was in my salon, we had an office next door to us um, and then two residential um, flats that had been converted from the previous retail units that had been converted many years ago. So literally, I was the only retail unit left on this little parade of what had been four shops um, when they were built in the early 1900s. But we had local parking. It may have been slightly restrictive at different points, but we did have local parking. We had lots of schools near us. We had lots of mums doing um, the school walk every morning. We were on a, a busy main road, so you had lots of drive past. And it meant that, you know, if we ever had roadworks up the road, all these cars, we had like a little audience outside because they were all just sat in the traffic. And it happened quite a lot because we have a lot of water mains problems near where this, where my salon was. So there would quite regularly be lots of um, traffic sitting outside the shop. Um, and we would then put notices out to clients to let them know there's traffic in the area. So please be aware. And uh, and it just kind of it worked okay for me it was opposite a very affluent housing um, development and so we had that development we also had all of the residential old Edwardian houses around us so there was probably about two or three hundred of those and so we also had another housing development over the back of that and then we had um, a village like one of our local villages and we also had quite a large town close to us as well so it was in a really good place we were central for a really major artery that ran through the whole local area so people could get to us easily and those were my key points when I looked at that business premise you could see the potential clients and who the demographic was who my ideal client would be and where they were how they were going to get to me and how they were going to find me and I could see all of that within the instant of seeing the to let sign in the window. And don't forget, if you're working from home, it really is important to make sure that you are registered as a business with your local council. During the pandemic, so many home salons missed out on the um, business grants because they weren't registered and were very upset by the fact that they couldn't do that. But if you don't register with your council or your local authority, whichever you want to call them, if you do not register with them as a business, they don't know that you exist. And just because you're registered with HMRC, that for that purpose didn't mean that you could get any of these additional restrictions grants or the business grants that were available through the local authorities so do consider you know I mean let's hope that we never have to go through what we've gone through in the last couple of years again but it you just need to future proof yourself it really really will help you and don't forget if you are in rented accommodation be that private or um, local authority or social housing um, or even if you have a mortgage you need to ensure that the person that owns your property because if you're mortgaged you don't own your property you are a homeowner but the technically the nuances of new of mortgages mean that the building society or lender owns your property um, 
And sometimes they don't like you having a business from home. Some landlords are completely fine for you to run a business from home, while others aren't. And some councils may be okay with it, but it may also depend on your property, where you live, whether there's parking, all those different things, whether or not a local authority will allow you to practice your business within their property. So it is vital if you are in rented accommodation that you check with the owner of the premises and if you are mortgaged that you check with your lender. Looking at teams, do you need to have a team? And if you are in a commercial business premises, the likelihood is that you you will. If you are mobile, you can think about um, setting up a team of mobile um, professionals and providing a network of mobile. That's, you know, as your business grows, it's something you may want to consider. Um, if you are at home, it's also something you may want to consider if you have a large space in your garden. So if you have, you know, a, a beautiful um garden salon there may be room for you to rent out space on the days you're not working there could be space for you to um, take on an employee an apprentice whatever to help you grow that business especially if you have dreams of converting that into a high street salon at some point or turning into a day spa or you know the best hair salon in the area that you want to create something that's smaller and use it as a, a stepping stone into something much bigger but remember, it is worth checking on all of the things that surround having a team. Consider how you will take them on. Options of apprenticeships um, or employees on the PAYE side, but you can also build a team of self-employed workers within your business, but this needs to be considered very, very carefully as the guidance from HMRC is very, very clear on the line between employment and self-employment. And this is where it's worth speaking to specialists and people that understand. So that's your HR, your HR specialist or your accountant that you would need to speak to. It can be done and you can build an umbrella of um, a business within with self-employed people within it but the technicalities of keeping that out of the grayness of the blur because if you get investigated by HMRC and they find that you have self-employed workers that are hidden employees or disguised employees the back payments of tax national insurance plus fines will be quite intense for a small business and it is worth making sure that you get that 100% right and this is where someone like Denise Ferguson who's a surveyor can come in because she can help you with licenses for subletting and also you need if you're going to work that way you need to make sure with your landlord that they're okay with you subletting their property because effectively that's what you're doing so there is a whole amount of grayness around this of how people work and that again is something that is far too big a conversation for this episode. We'll move on to branding now and branding is about what you want your business to look like. It covers things like your business name, your logo, the colours, the theming and these are really just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to your branding. It should be really clear what it is that you offer it should be very clear what your name of your business is. It should be very clear what kind of experience people are going to get from coming to visit your business. So uh, go back to what I was saying, I speak about being pink and fluffy. You know, if you're going to be pink and fluffy, then that branding is going to come across in your logos, in your decor. Everything about it is going to be visible in your business. So you will attract people that like pink and fluffy. If you like white clinical and 
clean cut lines, that's gonna come across in your logos and your branding and your decor again, and you're gonna attract people that like that kind of style. And that's just that's just on the what it looks like thing. That's not including what messages you put out, what your social media looks like, and all of those things. As soon as you start putting things in writing, it needs to be very clear, easy to read, and inviting. And please, if you do not spell well, make sure that you get someone to proofread what you put out. Because I know for me and a lot of people that when you see badly written text it really, really does put you off. If you're someone that isn't great as as a reader, as a client, then it probably isn't something you're gonna notice. But for me, if I see really badly written text and I've got a salon that isn't too far away from where I live and they've actually got spelling mistakes on their sign above their salon and don't ever rely on a printer or a sign writer or anybody that's providing that kind of service, they will not proofread for you. They do not provide that service. They expect you to have everything 100% correct before they go to print. So just make sure that if you don't spell well or you don't understand grammar and punctuation and where an apostrophe should be used, get someone who does understand it to make sure that you get it right. Because it really, really, for probably half the population, is something that will make them walk away or make them question your business acumen and all of that kind of stuff. Because if you're a professional business person, you should have that stuff pinned down and have it right. That's my opinion. And I'm sure probably a lot of people would disagree with me and not really care, but I personally hold that belief. And sorry if that offends, can't help it. A bit of a apostrophe person. I did used to get called the apostrophe queen by my old boss. I'm not perfect, I try to be, because I'm a bit of a perfectionist, but you know, I do get things wrong. And occasionally I've had over the years, clients have gone, did you see that error on your price list? Which I have proofread and proofread and proofread. But you know, and we all do make unexpected errors. But if you do struggle with English as something in writing, then please, please, please just get someone to give you a hand. And um, there are people out there that are professional proofreaders. I have to say, I always give stuff to my daughter um, to proofread. She is was a linguistic specialist at university and she is, yeah, I thought I was pretty okay with punctuation and grammar. And then, and then she came along. So she does my proofreading for me just to make sure that I've got all my I's dotted and my T's crossed and my commas in the right place. And it really, really does help. And also they give it a, a second viewing and a second reading. And sometimes we'll have a bit of constructive feedback into how you could improve it or whether it reads right or whatever. And whether as somebody that isn't necessarily doing what we do for a living all of the time, whether or not it's understandable to the layman. And that can be really important too. But that's that for branding. Moving on to marketing. And marketing for anyone that doesn't understand what it does, is this is where you tell everybody about you and your brand and what you offer. And the most common methods in today's world, of course, are social media, emailing, and your website. Printed materials can still be popular and a lot of people still like doing a leaflet drop, but they aren't very useful in a lot of ways. It puts your name out there, but a lot of the time people just throw them in the bin and it's something that you need to consider and they need to be very, very targeted to area or to demographic group. But whatever it is that you're marketing and whichever way you choose to put it to 
put it to market, so to speak, because um, that's what you're doing is you are putting your brand to market. Um, make sure that it's clear, that it's truthful, it's easy to understand. And as I've said already, that spelling and grammar are correct, that it's laid out well, that it isn't higgledy-piggledy all over a page, that you use quality images and that you provide potential clients with no obstacles to come and buy from you. It is vitally important that those marketing messages leave an open door for your clients to come and be welcomed and marketing is also somewhere that you might want to consider um, getting someone to help you with social media management uh, or somebody that actually does do marketing for a living there are loads and loads of groups um, that can help you with this but specifically groups like Ryan and Holly Powers Sunology you know I was a member of their gold club when I had the salon and it's really really helpful marketing information they are expert marketeers and can help you turn your business around or start your business and it's a really really important thing to get that connection going with your potential income revenue source that's what it is you know you are trying to get to people that can provide you with income and it's the most vital part of any business so when you are planning how your financials are going to work make sure that you put money aside to pay for marketing marketing is there to invest in and you will normally if you do it right get a big return on that investment and that's how you will grow your business and you will become a successful salon it isn't just about what you do it's about how you encourage people to come to you in the first place because if they can't find you and don't know you're there it doesn't matter if you provide the most amazing facial the most amazing haircut the best set of nails the most amazing lashes the most relaxing massage if they can't find you and you haven't told them you're there and what you do you won't get the revenue so make sure marketing is a massive part of your plan anyway that is probably everything I'm going to put on the table today. So I hope you found that really helpful. It is really just the tip of the iceberg and it provides you a place to just start thinking about things and maybe doing a bit of research and planning before you start your journey. But I will very soon and I really, really, I'm going to, this was supposed to happen last year and life just got in the way and it's really unfortunate that that happened because I so wanted this to be up and running. But in the next few months, I will have my starting your salon business successfully course up and running in some form or another. It is going to be there and I'm putting it out there. This is happening this year. And um, and there's also some other things that I'm quite excited that I'm going to be doing too. But I've got to move house first and because that is taking up too much of my brain space and I need all of that um, life changing new beginning stuff out of the way so that I can get on with my new beginnings which will mean helping loads more people in the industry and just getting people to get their financial literacy sorted to get their business literacy sorted and to get their businesses growing so that they can also have salon ownership success the same as I've had and do remember if there's any guests that you'd like me to talk to if there's any subjects you'd like me to cover just drop me a message on any of my social media platforms and you can get in touch with me via my website suedavies.org also where you can find a downloadable version of this in the form of pdf and that is all free for you to take from the website so i'll speak to you next week bye for now thank you for listening to inspiring salon professionals and if you've enjoyed the podcast please subscribe leave a review and share with other industry professionals you think may enjoy the show too 
For links and further information, you'll find those in the show notes or on my website, www.suedavies.org. You can also hear more from me and join the Inspiring Salon Professionals community on the Facebook group. Thanks again and see you next time. Bye for now.